Well, our preacher this morning has worked as our children's ministries director for 35 years in this church. And yes. And Jane will be retiring later in the spring, and we will have plenty of time to celebrate her 35 years here and all of that. But before she left, I thought it might be a good idea to have her preach, because she has not ever preached here before, and after 35 years, I'm betting she has something to say. (laughs) Please welcome Jane Lewis to the pulpit. not the way to start a message. Back in 1976, I had two toddlers when I started working here at the church. I soon learned that I was under a microscope regarding my parenting and the behavior of my children on Sunday morning. So each Sunday I would say, dear Lord, please do not let my children embarrass me today. Well, here we are 35 years later, and my children have a family, and they're very active in this church. So I'm guessing it's their turn to pray, please, Lord, don't let mom embarrass us. (laughs) With that in mind, I think we better begin in prayer. Loving God, send your Holy Spirit to us. Open our hearts and minds to your word that we may hear your message today. It is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to continue the series that Dr. Dudley has been doing about what if we follow Jesus more than our culture. When Dr. Dudley asked me to preach, here's the description that he gave me for my topic. What would happen if instead of spending all our time getting our children into select soccer, making sure they pad their college applications with a variety of activities to get into Harvard, we actually made our number one priority that they know Jesus. How would that change them, us, and the world? Now, if you don't have children, please don't tune me out just yet. Once all of us were a child, I would encourage you to listen to this message and think back about your childhood and the effects that that has on you today. The way we live our lives and the choices that we make impact everyone around us. I would like for you to think about the choices that you make and how you set your priorities. For over 50 years, our culture has delegated Christian education to the church. We come to worship, we send our children to Sunday school, we spend our hour, we put some money in the offering plate, and we are good to go for the week. As a Christian educator, I know this is not working. It is not working for our children, nor for the adults. I came across a survey that was done back in 1994 by the Barner Research Group. They surveyed 3,800 youth in 13 denominations, 
And here are a few of those results. 50% of the youth feel that love, not marriage, makes sex right. 40% think no one can prove which religion is true. 40% say lying is sometimes necessary. And nearly 50% base their choices in moral matters on feelings and emotions. This survey was 16 years ago. What would those statistics be today? It's obvious that our culture in matters of moral issues has more impact than the church. Our society has a great deal to say about things, both subtly and overtly. So what can we do? The Bible is very clear. You heard what it said in the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy. Listen what it says now in the 11th chapter. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and mine. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your forehead. Teach them to your children, talking to them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. This is telling the pastors and the Sunday school teachers they cannot do it all. It is up to the family. We cannot get what we need in one hour, one day a week. Our spiritual training was meant to be lived every day. The question is, how do we do that? First, we need to begin with ourselves. Most of us have never been to seminary, and so we don't have the professional theologian perspective, but we don't need it. It simply requires a commitment to start and to become intentional. Several years ago, on a rainy August day, two young people climbed, wanted to climb the highest summit in Switzerland. It's almost 15,000 feet high. The goal of the first day was to get to a house that was halfway up the mountain where they could spend the night and then go for the summit the next morning. At noon, they left the village in the rain. They didn't take any cold weather gear with them. After all, it was August. But by 6 p.m., they had crossed the timberline, and the rain had turned to snow, and the trail was increasingly difficult to follow. By 8 p.m., it was dark. They realized they were in trouble. They were soaked, shivering, and at risk for hypothermia. They did not have sleeping bags nor a tent with them because they were headed to the high hut that was staffed by the Swiss Alpine Club. Just when their situation was most desperate, there was a tiny light flickering in the distance. To those two young men, it was like a lighthouse beacon. You see, before retiring for the night, the keep at the high hut had put a kerosene lamp outside the door, just in case a beacon was needed to help some travelers. Well, our life is very much like this journey. We begin it with high aspirations. However, we are a little naive about the fact that we are walking into a world that is dark and fallen. We are just like those two climbers who couldn't find their way. 
They needed a light to guide them to safety. In the same way, we need Jesus, who is our light in the world. He is the one alone who can save us, guide us, and keep us safe and warm now and forever. I believe that all of us on some level want to learn more about Jesus and how to follow his teachings. However, we are all very busy. We have good reasons why we can't do more. Last week, I was talking with Nathan Dean, who is our senior graphic designer here at the church. He is the young man who is responsible for the graphics that we see on Sunday mornings. Nathan and I were discussing how hard it is to do some of the things that we really want to do and the roadblocks that we perceive. Nathan shared with me about a friend of his who had made some drastic changes in his life. He had moved to another part of the country, and he and his wife both had to find new jobs. Nathan asked him, how did you do it? And his friend responded, I engaged my will. My mother always says, where there is a will, there's a way. So if we acknowledge that we have a will, we have the desire to grow in our faith, how can we find time in our lives to learn and to follow Jesus? I think we need to begin by looking at priorities. So as I was preparing, I listed my priorities in my life. And my top three are my relationship with Jesus, my family, and my job. If we start with our number one priority being our walk with Jesus, we realize it is not going to happen by accident. We have to engage our will. When I was growing up in Indiana, we lived in a two-story home, and our steps of our house came down and into the kitchen. When I would get up each morning, I would see one of two sights. When I came down, I would either see my mother sitting at the kitchen table with her Bible open and her devotional, or her Bible would be closed, the devotional tucked inside, and she had started our breakfast. My mother was modeling for me the importance of daily Bible reading. She is now 92 years old and still lives alone. She has shown me through the years by her actions how to live a Christian life with Jesus at the center. She always told my sister and me, actions speak louder than words. Her love and care for others has spoken volumes to me. It has, she has shown me how to live my life day by day, and that has been the biggest impact as I watched her. If we are going to engage our will, we have to take action. There are many great resources to help us, but the Bible is our handbook, the instructional manual. If you have never read a Bible, or if you do have study time but you feel that you're not getting the most out of it, you might want to get the book titled How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth then maybe you're like me in my early years of my walk. I would take my Bible, open it up, and wherever it 
fell open for the day, that is what I read. Some of us just needed a little more help. And if you're one of those people and you're looking for a place to start, I would encourage you to get a Bible-based devotional. One that has been around for decades is My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Okay, I can hear some of you saying, but I don't have time to add one more thing to my busy schedule. We live in a society where success is important. We, want, we all want to be successful. But what does success look like? Our culture says it's attending a prestigious university and landing a high-paying job, owning a house and in the right neighborhood, having children who are on select soccer teams and who are great in school. We spend our time and energy making things happen. We spend hundreds and thousands of dollars so our children will participate on select teams. We push them academically to the point of doing their homework so they will get good grades to get into a good school. We make sure that their time is filled with activities so that they will have a lot of things to put on their college application. Stop. I want to tell all of you to stop. God has given each of us 24 hours in our day. Our lives are easier now. We have faster and more convenient technology. So how do we do it? We should have more time for Bible study. Do you know that the 30 years between 1970 and the year 2000, people were on the job 163 more hours. That is a month of work per person per year. We have all of these wonderful inventions that help us, and yet we spend that extra time working. So it goes back to priorities. Look at how you spend your time. Where can you make some shifts? Ideally, we would have a dedicated time to spend with God. But to start, I would encourage you to be creative and take advantage of what you are already doing. Do you take public transportation to work? Use that time reading the Bible. If you drive, what about listening to books on tape to help you with your spiritual walk? Do you work out on a treadmill? The Message by Eugene Peterson is a great treadmill read. I know, I've done it. It is the Bible in contemporary language. Do you stop for coffee in the morning? Instead of texting or reading emails or the newspaper or checking Facebook, try the Bible. It's online. What about finding a quiet place and reading your Bible at lunch? You see, before we can help our children or other people in our lives, we have to help ourselves. Once we have a little bit of knowledge and we're growing, we can begin to share with children and those that we love. Conversations that can happen are amazing opportunities to reach out to others. One morning recently, I was driving my three-year-old granddaughter to preschool, and I was trying to merge onto the freeway during rush hour. A car finally slowed and allowed me to come in. I raised my hand and gave a quick wave, and Eloise said, Grandma, 
why did you wave? I told her that the person in the car behind us had slowed and let me come in. And I was just saying thank you. Why? Because he was being nice. Why? Because God wants us to be nice to everyone. Oh, I know that. Miss Terry says we should be kind to everyone. Do you think we should maybe say a prayer for that nice man who let us in? Yes. Miss Terry says we can pray for each other. So I said a prayer, and we thank Jesus for the nice man, and we ask that he would have many blessings on his day. For those of you who don't know Miss Terry, she leads our preschool worship up in the chapel with the preschoolers every Sunday. At a recent family club evening, Dana Lowerson and her daughter Lily shared a time when God answered a prayer. Before school started in the fall, Lily um, found out that she was going to be in Miss West's fourth grade class and none of her friends were going to be there. She was not looking forward to school. So Dana and Lily prayed about school and about the year. On the walk to school the first day, they met a girl who had had Miss West last year. She told Lily that she had really liked Miss West and that she had taught her to love science. She was sure that Lily would love her. Dana gave Lily a little nudge. Lily looked up and smiled. Well, that day she had a great first day of school and she is loving her teacher this year. You see, in the Lowerson family, Prayer is very important, and they talk about how God sometimes sends people to answer our prayers. On that morning, God sent a fifth-grade girl to give Lily hope. As I talk to parents about the choices that we make and our priorities, I often get pushback and excuses. This is the time of year when many families are starting to plan their summer activities for their children. I always encourage them to send their child to a Christian camp. The response too often is, oh, we don't have time for that or it's too expensive. They share with me that their child needs to continue the activities that they've done through the year the gymnastics, the dance, the sports, the music, whatever it is. They don't want them to lose those skills during the summer. Their child must go to soccer camp or cheerleading camp or you fill in the blank. I am told that it is more important for our children to know what they're good at and to be popular in high school so they can get into a good college. Instead of investing in our children's eternal life, we are choosing to invest in things that we perceive as more important. This past month, I have thought a great deal about Christina Taylor Green, nine years old. She is the little girl who was killed in January on the attack of Gabby Giffords in Tucson, Arizona. Here is what Christina's mother said about her. Christina was very thoughtful and caring. She wanted to help others who were less fortunate. She'd volunteer with us at soup kitchens on Thanksgiving. Most kids would be like, ugh, 
but not Christina. She was, come on, let's do it. The day before she died, Christina cleaned out her room and gathered up boxes and bags of clothing, shoes, and toys to donate. She was like, wow, I have so many things to give. She will never get to personally donate them, but we will donate them for her. What are the priorities in this family? What did the Green family model for their daughter? What are we modeling for our children and the people in our lives? There are families in our church who are doing amazing things with spiritual growth in their families. I am humbled and have been humbled by the number of times that parents have come to me and said that their child, as young as kindergarten, asked that for their birthday, people bring toys or food, not for them, but for them to donate. A few years ago, we were talking to our children in Sunday school about a home that took children who had been, who took babies, these are actually infants, that had been born to mothers who were addicted to drugs and how they loved those children during the detox period. One of the children in that program was so touched that she went to her parents and took all of her money that she had been saving for a bike and gave it to the church to give to this organization so that these children would have a better life. If your child died suddenly today, would you regret the choices that you have made? Or would you be like Christina's mother and proud of the caring, giving, and loving person that she had become? All of us have opportunities in our lives to make the world a better place to show the love of Jesus. Spiritual training was never meant to be an add-on. It should form the core of your being and life. Imagine a picture of a child as an adult or yourself as an adult. The snapshots of the spiritual training should not be a small section but it should be the foundation of every picture with Christ at the center. We need to remember it's not the big things that make a difference. It's the little things that point to Jesus. Almighty and loving God, open our hearts and minds to find ways to make you a priority in our lives. Give us wisdom in setting priorities. Remove the roadblocks and set us on the road today to a closer walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.